1: Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor podcast. I'm David Partain. I'm joined with my fantastic co-host, Laura Gregg. Laura, how are you today? David, we're recording this
2: on a Friday afternoon before the holidays. I could not be better and I could not be more excited about the guest we have today and the content we're going to share
1: Yeah, I have a sweet spot in my heart for this guest too, and um, since this is going to be at the beginning of the year, to start the year, we are very super excited to be sharing these insights from our friends at Bloomberg Research on the state of the advisor landscape. We were able to dig, really dig deep into some of their findings, and as a group, that conducts a good deal of advisor research ourselves, it was heartening to see the common threads and findings in the Bloomberg work that supported some things we've learned over the last few years. So today we have Michelle Lin with us. Michelle is Global Head of Data Science and Insights at Bloomberg and has been conducting advisor research for some time. Welcome to the Flexible Advisor, Michelle.
3: Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You bet. I am hoping you can give our listeners a bit of background on yourself and your role at Bloomberg.
3: Sure. So like you said, I do head up the data science and insight team, as well as the planning and campaign management team for the Bloomberg Media Organization. Basically, I'm responsible for all the data, research, and planning teams globally. So I provide insights and intelligence to drive solutions for advertising clients and to stimulate revenue growth.
1: All right. So now that we know your role, Michelle, how long have you been conducting it and what you're researching now and why Bloomberg invests in it in general?
3: Yeah. So I joined Bloomberg Media about six years ago, the commercial organization. I quickly realized just how valuable financial advisors are to the business. But within within the commercial organization, I couldn't find any individual or a data set that could put a face on advisors. Or that allowed me to really get under their skin. I looked at, you know, online. The data I found online was good, but a bit unemotional. So we decided to create our own study, which is really a combination of qualitative and quantitative research. We've completed five waves since 2017. And the research really aims to provide a deeper understanding of intermediaries at a time when the financial industry continues to be disrupted by technology redefined by regulatory change, and it allows for a comprehensive view of the distinguishing attitudes and motivations and behaviors, as well as a conduit to activation for marketing to advisors. So wanted to really complement the types of work that you do with more of an emphasis on maybe the human side and how to connect with them.
2: So, Michelle, I I just can't wait to dig into some of this. And, you know, of course, I've had a preview of the research findings, but our our regular listeners know that I am extremely passionate about how financial advisors deliver an exceptional client experience. We all, we believe
1: (laughs) that. No,
2: what? I I know. I Mm -hmm. always find a way to weave this into our conversations, David, Mm -hmm. but I truly truly believe that that client experience, not service, but that client experience will always be the differentiator. And rarely will the differentiator between advisors be solely investment performance. I I believe that providing a great client experience uh, is how advisors are able to retain clients and how they're able to grow assets with their existing clients. In fact, we have a whole research study on growing wallet share and in how they're able to get referrals so michelle if you would please tell us what you learned about where advisors are putting emphasis into their practices and is it focused more on investments or relationships or a little bit of both
3: you know look at the end of the day it's always both it has to be but what we're seeing which is so interesting but makes complete sense on a very human level is that advisors are really leaning into the softer skills. So portfolio construction skills and the ability to generate consistent results are always important, but where the FAs are really distinguishing themselves is in understanding client needs, which is about appetite for risk, return expectations, but it goes even deeper. It's about being as transparent as possible It's also about demonstrating the ability to quickly simplify complex financial concepts for these clients. You know, these are very confusing times that we live in, and I think they're really leaning into the relationship a little bit more. So, we, you know, this is the end of
2: 2022, just a a terribly volatile market environment for most of the year. And I'm I'm wondering if you've seen in your research that advisors kind of uh, picked up on their communication frequently during this down market environment, or have they kind of steered clear because they don't want to have those difficult performance discussions? And in your assessments, do uh, check-ins, do they need to be always fully focused on investment performance or other things as
3: well? While things are generally good for clients during up markets, these periods can actually limit the advisor's ability to show their full value. And we've seen that. Um, we saw that the first few years of fielding the study, that the calls are only really happening when there is volatility, when there is uncertainty. So we saw that in the first few years of the study that I was saying. And, and then comes 2020, um, which was like a roller coaster. But down markets, as stressful as they can be, really gives advisors the opportunity to strengthen relationships and offer the guidance clients need. While some advisors choose to stay in the background, as you point out, and avoid tough conversations during the more turbulent economic times, others lead the way for their clients. And I think it pays off. I think it takes their business to new heights.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, in down market, we all know that money is probably more in motion. Uh, than ever. And um, if you're not checking in with your clients, another advisor might be checking in on them for you.
3: Yeah, it's that. And it's also, you remember, like, two or three, maybe three years ago, it was that, oh, I could just do it myself. What do yeah. you add? <laughs> now we have the value. We know the value every single day.
2: Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I want I want to kind of pivot to a little bit of a different Conversation. Um, I know your survey looked into the diversity of advisory firms, and uh, our regular listeners know that this is something that we at FlexShares uh, are passionate about. And we've also done quite a bit of research work and trying to understand it, both from the investor perspective and the advisor perspective. But our firms, Michelle, are they becoming more diverse in terms of their advisory teams? And what about the clients that they're serving? What What did your research find?
3: Yeah. Laura, this is also a space that I'm very passionate about. As you know, this group as a whole tends to be very homogeneous. I think we've seen... Really? <laughs> is that news? Is that news to your listeners? <laughs> they all look like
1: David <laughs> and we love <laughs> Except we all- I have gray hair, white hair. <laughs>
3: Oh, my God. So do I. <laughs> but I think over the past few years, we've seen a little bit of movement. And I'm speaking about a few percentage points as it applies to gender. A few more women advisors than when we started study, but definitely not enough and a not enough diversity in general. Advisors don't believe that their firms have made enough of an effort in recruiting from more diverse backgrounds. And this is a big mistake. There are so many DE&I initiatives happening to diversify companies, boards, C-suites, colleges and universities. And if you think about millennials who are now, they now account for the lion's share of the workforce and are the most ethnically diverse generational cohort ever in the U.S. and Gen Z is coming up quick. Investors will be, will be more diverse, which will happen organically just given the composition of those generational cohorts. But the advisor population is not gonna change in lockstep with the overall population and effort needs to be made here. So if you're a young successful woman of color who's looking for an advisor, you are hard pressed to find someone who looks like you or who understands your needs more deeply. And I think it's a it's a real mistake.
2: The hiring process is hard. And what we found, Michelle, was that if I'm getting this right, right from memory, I think you know 62% of advisors when they have a spot open, they go to their own personal social networks um, to fill that role. So if you're just fishing in the pond of people that are like you it's you know less likely that you'll find more diverse opportunities but you know as you say millennials are diverse and gen z i've i've read that they're even more diverse of yep. a population than yeah. millennials so um you know if you want to monetize that business and keep it going in the future you know we all need to make a concerted effort but, I, you know, I, there's another area of focus that uh, we have hit on uh, in our world, and that showed up in your survey as well, uh, and that is the ESG space. The work that we've done suggests that investors, much more so than their advisors, are, are interested in sustainable investing. Yet there are, you know, numerous headwinds for sustainable investing, and to a great extent, you know, it's gotten a lot of bad press this year. In some cases, it's been cast as a political thing. And given the environment we've had this year of inflation and the huge gains by energy producers and and all of that, many ESG funds really, you know, which had no or little exposure to energy stocks have struggled. They had a great year in 2021 terrible year in 2022. But what I'm often hearing is like, you know, see, they don't they don't perform well, as if, you know, there's no other investment in the world that has an off year. You know, I mean, investments are created and some years it favors them, other years it doesn't. But I'm curious what you've learned from the advisors that you're talking to about how they're thinking about ESG investing and how they're delivering it to their clients or if they are delivering it to their clients.
3: Yeah, this is is a tricky one. And I agree that there is a bit of political leaning happening here According to our study, which surveys advisors, over half of the advisors cite a lack of client demand as the main barrier to incorporating ESG into their clients' portfolios more broadly. We've had some interesting conversation about whether it's truly a lack of demand or is it that the advisor is not as open as they could be to those conversations. But you know that goes hand in hands with some of the other barriers, such as the performance concerns that you mentioned. And yes, that's taken out of context, I think, you know, as you, you're comparing it to other investments. But we actually, and another another barrier there is the lack of defined standards as to what constitutes ESG. And we asked them not about the acronym, but to tell us what ESG investing is. And there's some consensus around it being a set of standards used by socially conscious investors to achieve societal outcomes but then there's like twenty percent of advisors that look at it very tactically, like it's a product that can be added to portfolios to satisfy these clients. I think there's more work that needs to be done in this space overall because it still seems to be a gray area.
2: Yeah, I, I think that there's a long way to go, and you know, I know that we look at it also as you know, it, it's an investment first and foremost, and uh, it's it's a lot of data, right? As well, <laughs> you know, and and how can you use these inputs to help mitigate risk or at least try to manage it. So I'll be interested to see if that you see any movement in your next uh, delivery of this survey.
1: Yeah, I, I know that your research also got into the adoption and, and attitudes around, well, my favorite vehicle, which is ETF. <laughs> and as that's uh, what FlexShares does, I'd appreciate understanding more around ETFs in general and because they've been around for a couple of decades. They're not new, yet you I could still read articles on Bloomberg about people and investment professionals being confused by them. What are your thoughts and what does your research show on what needs to be done in terms of educating advisors and then of course their end clients?
3: Yeah, yeah. I was I was looking at that the other day. I guess ETFs started in the nineties, like early nineties. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think a lot of progress has been made in terms of you know, the clarification or or demystification. But I I still think that there's, there are some lingering myths, especially around the importance of price, that Mm -hmm. it should be the primary concern in investing and the familiar whether, you know, this concept of whether ETFs are actively or passively managed. So that comes up a lot, even though the articles are, but there there are people who are like speaking about it broadly, that there still seems to be some confusion. But I think education is key remember, they have a ton to learn and they also need to be able to simply communicate what it means to them and their role to clients. I think bite-sized pieces of information that is easy to consume, like regardless if they've been around 20 years or more, like there's still some, again, some gaps in terms of of their knowledge and comfort level. I definitely think that there's been strides, but still more work to do.
1: So you've also done over the life of your survey, you've looked at trends in adoption and even specific uses of ETFs by advisors, what do you think are driving some of those of those uh, specific uses in adoption and trends? Yeah,
3: yeah, we have. And we've seen more adoption of ETFs and more of a comfort level. They're less concerned about the growth <laughs> than, than they, they were even five years ago because we started tracking this five years ago which I guess it made some uncomfortable. But many of the advisors now that we speak to just really see ETFs as a powerful tool, like whether it's about flexibility, diversification, lower costs, I think in short, just a good tool for constructing portfolios with with ease. So that's definitely been an uptick in the survey over the last several years.
1: Yeah, well, that, of course, warms my heart. And (laughs) given that it's the end of the calendar year, and it always seems like you have not just reflection, but you also then put out what you're going to do in the year ahead. And I think some of the insights you've shared will will be helpful for the advisors considering which area they're looking at, whether it's relationship-based or investment-based, and where they're going to put their focus. What key considerations would you suggest advisors lean into as they contemplate their 2023 service model?
3: I don't know. I think advisors are having a moment <laughs> right now. Yeah. You know, like the market fluctuations really allow advisors to truly be there for their clients, provide the guidance, provide the reassurance. And while we know that the client base has become increasingly demanding, maybe that's not such a bad t- thing with such uncertainty. Like maybe. This is the time to really shore up your relationships because we know r- referrals are such a big part of this business. Mm-hmm. I think being there for the clients now again could bring their business to new heights next year.
2: I feel like uh, you know it's been kind of speed dating here. We've we've thrown out a lot of topics and and covered a lot of a lot of things. But are are there any themes? that you found in in either your latest research or over the course of this research study that we haven't touched upon today that, that you think uh, might be particularly insightful for advisors?
3: Um, hmm. Themes. I mean, I think one of the things we always measure in the study is really what are their critical business concerns? Like what are the things that keep them up at night? And you could say, like, this whole year is what is keeping them up at night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, it's still – and what I find interesting here, like, a second ago, I was saying, you know, what we're seeing is that the client base is becoming increasingly demanding. And I know it's stressful. It it almost reminds me of, you know, doctors that only get so few minutes with each patient. It feels like that for advisors, too, because the client base is becoming – Increasingly demanding to service, yet what we're telling them is the softer skills are what's more important. So, you would think just by nature of that, like how do you balance those things? That's something that I feel like we need to help with. And I think part of that is through communications and media and content and getting there more quickly, especially for the harder to understand topics. In previous waves, we've seen attracting new clients as a top business concern. Clearly, the inflationary environment is a top business concern. The regulatory environment, but I really think it's about managing growth and and that that demanding client base. Because at the end of the day, there's only so many hours that they have. So,
2: Michelle, I, we've done a twelve year research study on on you know some of the things that you were just mentioning. It's been on you know. Where, where do advisors find the ability to scale their practice? And, you know, are they taking advantage of outsourced solutions, whether that's outsourcing investment management functions or compliance or marketing or, or whatever it is? And w- we found that most advisory firms are, are finding things that they can outsource in order to give them more time. Because as you as you say, clients are more demanding. It's not just manage my investments. It's manage my investments, come up with a financial plan for me, help me, you know, do my legacy planning, help me find elder care for my parents and a whole host of things that, you know, were never on the docket when we were kind of in the brokerage mentality. So, you know, it is interesting to see what will happen. And I'm looking forward to gaining more insights from your your ongoing study.
3: Yeah, I think, like, if I think about what I know of this space, it started with investing, then planning, and now it's about experience and life and life planning, as you say. Um, I was speaking to an investment manager who said she spent a lot of time with a, a client helping her to decide what generator to buy. You know, I think I think some of the, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> the of blur here, which, you know, outsourcing is interesting. And and as you said all that, it occurred to me that, you know, even with fintech, everyone is also targeting these advisors with advertising. So I think it could be overwhelming. And the other thing that we know about advisors is that a lot of people get into advising for work-life balance because they can control that a little bit more than before. And I'm just wondering if similar to all of us, given the changes and the digital adoption acceleration as a result of the pandemic, if they still have that work-life balance.
2: Yeah. I mean, time has always been the number one reason that advisors turned to outsourcing in our, in our study. So it Yeah we talked earlier in the conversation about attracting more women and uh, more people of color and diverse populations. And I think the best way that we can do that is that work life balance. If it, you know, if it still exists.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it should allow them to fit this and other things in their life. But I think we're all working a little too much these days.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know Laura is. so. <laughs> So Michelle, you've been doing this survey for a while. Is there anything that you look you look back and you go, Wow, that was controversial at the time and now it's just like the accepted wisdom. It's standard? Is there is there anything you point to within the survey that really stood out when you did the first one? You were like, Wow, and now? Eh, no big deal.
3: I think one interesting thing to me, I don't know if it's interesting to you, is the adoption of social media. <laughs> because, huh. David, you might r- remember this. When we first did this um, and we asked advisors about social media, its they didn't know what it was. And this yeah. is just fine. They didn't know how they could incorporate it to their business. They didn't know how they could use it to market themselves. They didn't know how they could use it to distribute content. There were so many compliance concerns. There was a lack of credibility. And now... it's growing like crazy in this space with extreme credibility. And I I don't know why that just strikes me as something really interesting. There's something really interesting about it.
1: Yeah, that's a big, that's a big change. I remember now talking to you uh, back when you first did the first survey and how different it is now. That's, that's interesting. Well, Michelle, you've offered us again, great information (laughs) and uh, it is always a delight for me to talk to you and to have you on the podcast today it was especially great for us. Will you promise to come back and nerd out with us again?
3: Yes. Anytime. I would love to.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you.
1: If you're an advisor and would like to know more about Michelle and her research, please just review the show notes at the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening to The Flexible Advisor. We created this show for advisors to help them grow their business. If you like this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing our podcast with other advisors. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor.
0: Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.
2: Please remember that all investments carry some level of risk, including the potential loss of principal invested. They do not typically grow at an even rate of return and may experience negative growth. As with any type of portfolio structuring, attempting to reduce risk and increase return could, at certain times, unintentionally reduce returns. An ESG investment methodology that includes and excludes issuers and assigns weights to issuers by applying non-financial factors such as ESG factors. Such ESG investment methodology may underperform the broader equity market or other investment products that do or do not use ESG investment criteria. An ESG investment methodology will influence exposure to certain companies and sectors. Currently, there is a lack of common industry standards relating to the development and application of ESG criteria, which may make it difficult to compare an ESG investment methodology with an investment strategy of another investment product or funds that integrate certain ESG criteria. The subjective value that investors may assign to certain types of ESG characteristics may differ substantially from that of an ESG investment methodology or a data provider. Not all FlexShares ETFs have an ESG focus. For more information on which FlexShares ETFs have an ESG focus, please visit FlexShares.com.